I'm thinking right now of a beautiful Revolutionary War monument that's in Saratoga, New York. I did not say Sarasota, which is where the church is launching a, a new expression of our community. That's in Florida. Sarasota's in Florida, but Saratoga is in New York. And in Saratoga, I think it's known for horse racing too, by the way, to this day, but another famous place in the Saratoga area is, is a park that has in it a 150-foot-tall monument to one of the most famous battles. Some call it the turning point of the Revolutionary War, which, which gave us freedom. It's up there against uh, in the foothills of the beautiful Adirondack Mountains. It overlooks uh, the Hudson Valley. It, it's a great place. Impressive. Think of that, 150 feet tall. At the base of it, carved into to a niche on each side, are, are places for four statues. There's only three of them. I think facing north is, is the uh, statue of the individual, what's his name? Yeah, Horatio Gates. <laughs> Not that it matters, but Horatio Gates, he's part of our country's heritage, by the way, who was the leader of this turning point battle in the uh, Revolutionary War. On another side is, is, is another general named Daniel Morgan. On another side of it is a general named Philip Schuler. All of these guys, American heroes that fought uh, to get this nation launched. If you go to the fourth side, there's nothing there. It's empty. It was originally there to provide us another statue, because the other three guys have statues, to provide another statue for a guy that was a war hero up until that moment, a guy you may have heard of before, and it'll, it'll explain why there's nothing there, Benedict Arnold. <laughs> now, even if you haven't had much school, I bet that name rings a bell. Benedict Arnold, he's become, at least in America, if not the world, synonymous with, 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 with being a traitor and betrayal. Yeah, I've always wondered why, because you read the story of Benedict Arnold, he had literally been an American hero. I think he was the head of West Point at one point. He was one of George Washington's confidants, and George Washington at times would place a lot of trust in Benedict Arnold. What in the world happened? Well, there's all kinds of theories. Uh, some say as the war went on, he felt overlooked and underappreciated. <laughs> Does that sound familiar to anybody? Like, what about me? Why are all these other guys getting the attention? Not fair. Um, some would argue that he was simply an ambitious and jealous individual and sought greener pastures and, and uh, you know, a higher position with the British, thought he could do that by turning to the other side. Um, some would argue that because he had some very painful and lingering war wounds to the day of his death, that that may have interfered with his thinking. Maybe he got bitter because of how much he was hurting. Uh, he had had an al alcoholic father and was not raised in a healthy home. There are some people that think he had daddy issues going on. Uh, and then later in life, I did before that, he had married a, uh, I think he'd been married to someone else at first. She either died or he divorced, I don't remember. But he had married a new young girl. I remember her name was Peggy because they called her Pretty Peggy. Remember 1950s, was it Buddy Holly? Pretty, 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 pretty Peggy Sue. Well, this isn't Peggy Sue of the 1950s. It's all the way back to the birth of our nation. This girl was young and beautiful, and Benedict Arnold married her. Her family was pretty rich, but they had close ties to the Brits. She liked a certain lifestyle, which he just couldn't afford. So some just say because of a young, beautiful girl he had married and the demands of trying to maintain a certain lifestyle and getting into debt because of that, 
he betrayed a nation. Uh, some, maybe it's a combination of all of them. I like what this one person wrote about Benedict Arnold at one time, why that, that niche is empty. Going back to that statue in Saratoga, he says, I quote, the empty niche in that monument shall ever stand for fallen manhood, power prostituted, genius soiled, and for faithlessness to a sacred trust. Well, to us, Benedict Arnold's a traitor. To George Washington, he was a betrayer. I, I think a traitor can be done to anybody, but you have to be close to someone to feel betrayed by him. And he's probably the most famous traitor in history, except for one more. I've spoken the last couple times about Judas. I got one more message that we can learn about from Judas. Let me look in the Bible with you at Matthew chapter 26 and read about the, uh, the actual incident of, of, of betrayal. It says in verse 14 of Matthew 26, it says, then one of the 12, don't let that comment pass, one of the 12 wanted Jesus' gang, his inner circle. The one called Judas Iscariot went to the chief priests and asked, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? That, by the way, just kind of shows he may have been quite a bit involved in money. What are you willing to give me? So they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. If you jump down to verse 20, Jesus has now gathered the disciples into that uh, room where they're going to have the Last Supper. And it says in Matthew 26, 20, when evening came... Jesus was, was reclining at the table with the 12. And while they were eating, he said, truly, I tell you. Whenever you read in the Bible, by the way, truly, truly, verily, verily, some of the more modern versions will say something like this, truly, I tell you. Jesus is actually using the word in Greek, amen. He goes, amen, amen. And then he proceeds to say something very significant. We tend to say amen after a prayer, or maybe if you're in a kind of an expressive church or a Pentecostal church, preacher says something you like, amen, brother. Jesus would preface a comment that he wanted them to pay special attention to with this phrase, amen, amen. So this, this, got, this got the other's attention, I promise you. When Jesus goes, amen, amen, I say to you, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him one after the other, surely you don't mean me. The actual Greek is, that go King James goes, is it I? I had to look that up grammatically because I go, isn't technically correct, is it me? I found it, either one's correct, but is it I? Is it me? They're all looking, they're like, I, I don't know. Jesus replied, the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The one who's fellowshiped with me, the one who has eaten with me, the one who's been one of my friends, uh, he's the one. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, uh, surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. Or again, in the Greek it just says, is it I, Rabbi? Jesus answered, you have said so. Man, think about this. I, I wonder what Jesus was feeling 
at this moment. He's just literally hours away from an arrest, from a mock trial, from being executed, six, at least, at least six long hours hanging on a cross. And you imagine, that's a long time to be in pain and suffering, and the only way out is to die. And, and for Judas, it all boils down to this. I wonder what Judas was thinking. It all boils down to this moment. After all the teaching, all the time with Jesus, being a firsthand witness to the miracles, multiplying loaves and fish, the lame walking, the blind seeing, not to mention the incredible teaching and I think just the personal intimate moments that he would get to spend every day with Jesus and the gang. After this, ah oh man, arrest, betrayal. In fact, let me read that to you. I like the way, actually I don't like the way. I like it for the message, but it's actually quite pathetic. It says in Luke, it says, while he was still speaking to a, a crowd came up. He's talking to his, his followers in the Garden of Gethsemane there. The man who was called Judas, one of the 12 was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him. Now that was a typical greeting then, but it was still was a greeting of, of intimacy. He approached Jesus to kiss him and Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the son of man with a kiss? Wow, they talk about the kiss of death. Talk about, it's like someone that you hug and give a handshake to is now gonna more than stab you in the back. It's gonna be a back and forth now. Jesus ends up in a lot of the religious courts before the priest and high priest like, like Annas and Caiaphas. He even goes before the Sanhedrin, which is kind of like the religious Supreme Court. Then he keeps getting bounced back to the Roman courts. He, he goes to what, Herod, and or I think goes to Pilate, then Pilate sends him to Herod, and Herod sends him back to, to, to Pilate. And Pilate, by the way, finally says, I don't see anything wrong with this guy. He goes, why are you bringing this to me? If this is a religious thing, you guys take care of it. If you wanna go stone somebody, I don't support it, but go ahead. But the, but the mob, the Lord's own people demanded that, that, you know, he, that he be crucified. The same people, he had multiplied the bread and fish for. The same people that had been around had now completely turned on him. Well, what, what, what happened to, to Judas? How did Judas get to be like that? Uh, how did Benedict Arnold, who was such a key part of our nation's founding, become the exact opposite, synonymous with, with a traitor? How does someone like Judas, who had the privilege of spending three years with Jesus, think about that. I sometimes laugh when people say, well, People like Peter and John, they were just ignorant fishermen. Hey, if you get to spend three years with Jesus, being mentored by Jesus, taught, taught by Jesus, in my book, that's a better degree than going to Harvard or Yale or, or some fancy school like that. Well, first thing I, I want to point out is that there's a difference. I like this phrase. There's a difference between churchianity and Christianity. I don't want to get political right now, but I'm not sure America was ever really, at least in my opinion, a fired up Christian nation. Uh, sometimes I think Americans were more churchy than they were Christian. That's not as much true anymore because Christianity has kind of fallen out of, out of favor. But what, what do I mean by that? Well, like in Judas's case, he had, he had made a commitment and because of the, because he'd been a follower of Jesus, he apparently had been a good enough follower where Jesus called him out of his 
group of disciples to be one of the 12. Uh, his commitment led to unbelievable opportunity. Think about the opportunities that Judas had. Um, but then Judas, despite his initial commitment, despite, I mean, a boatload of opportunity, Judas made some bad choices. Look at me right now. It is not enough to simply be where Jesus is. Judas found that out. It's not enough. It's not enough to simply be in church. I love church. If, I'm glad you're online right now. I'm glad you're here rather than someplace else. But if I'm going to be brutally honest with you, that's not really enough in and of itself to change your life. Being with Jesus isn't enough. Being in the church isn't enough. It's not enough to hear the words. I don't know who you've heard preach recently, be it me or famous preachers like, you know, T.D. Jakes, Joyce Myers, whoever is your personal favorite, uh, but, but that's not enough. Think of all the good teachings Judas had heard. He, he had been with Jesus. He had, he had heard all the sermons. He had seen all this stuff. It, it's, it's not enough. It's, it's not even enough to hang around the gang. People encourage us all the time uh, that we need to fellowship. We need to be in church. Man, I believe that. I could teach on that. But when push comes to shove, even that's not enough. You know, things around Judas had changed, but he had not really changed. As some of you right now, I'd ask you, just take a moment, not in a way that's going to bring self-condemnation or shame, because I don't think God, God is into that. That's not why Jesus came. But sometimes we've got to take a look. Hey, you know, what's the old saying? Just because you're in a garage, you're not a car. And just because you're in church doesn't mean you're a Christian. Again, a lot of people, I think they're more involved with churchianity than they are with real, live, vibrant Christianity. Not only that, I think Judas was a little bit too much concerned with himself. Maybe he was a little bit too greedy. Uh, I'm sure Judas, like Benedict Arnold, at some point asked himself, you know, this isn't really what I thought it was going to be. What am I getting out of all this? Why does, why does Jesus always call Peter, James, and John if he wants to get away for a little special time? Why didn't he ever call me? Uh, I mean, no one has noticed me. No, no one's appreciated me. In fact, in a very telling passage that John gives us, John, what John? Yeah, John chapter 12. This is a story when Jesus is in the home of Lazarus, who he was very close to. And, of course, Lazarus had sisters, Mary and Martha. And so I'll just read it to you. It says, Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. <laughs> in fact, this is the next chapter after John chapter 11 about the resurrection of Lazarus. I bet Lazarus was pretty glad to be there. A dinner was given in the Lord's honor, I bet. Martha served, Lazarus was among those who reclined at the table. Then Mary took about a pint of perfume. It says pure nard, but that sounds gross to me. It's supposed to be something really special. A pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. How expensive was it? The Bible says, if you look it up, it was worth about a year's salary. I have no idea how much the American, your average American makes right now. Let's say 50,000, 100,000. I don't know. Pick a figure. That's expensive. It says the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money 
given to the poor. In fact, here's that thing. It was worth a year's wages. Wow. Why is the church building that? Why? They ought to give all this to the poor. John goes on to note, however, he says, he did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he was like the treasurer of the group. He used to help himself to what was put into it. I think we need to be careful before we call worship waste, even extravagant worship waste. You see, like a lot of people, Judas, I'm sure, would think it's okay to give something. It's okay to give a little bit, maybe more than a little bit, but certainly not that much. Uh, you ever heard the old joke that a fanatic, someone just, oh, I, I, I'm, I, I love God, I'm, I'm cool with the big man upstairs, and I go to church on occasion, but I'm not a fanatic. Uh, I love the definition I heard years ago of, of a fanatic, that a fanatic is anyone who loves Jesus more than I do. <laughs> in other words, we tend to think, you know, we, we, all right, but I, I'm, I'm going to keep this thing in, in its proper context. Don't want to go too crazy over all of this. A waste. Judas saw what Mary did as a waste. Uh, sometimes people who will criticize folks who are really committed to a church. I mean, they're really sacrificing their time, their energy, and their talent. They'll be critical of that. And yet, I've seen some of these same people, and by the way, I, I love them, I get it, super involved in things like travel sports. You guys know me, I am a sports fanatic, and my grandkids, all, all of them are really, really, really good athletes. They're all-star level, they're on these high-end elite travel ball, and you, can, you name the sport. If you're a kid nowadays, you could be gone all the time just with one sport. <laughs> it's so specialized now, not to mention if you're involved in more than one sport. And I see all these parents every, every weekend, every day, they're out traveling, spending money, doing that. And some of these same people would criticize someone who would do that for church. Bottom line, while I don't think we're necessarily Judas, I think all of us may have a little bit of Judas in us. Churchianity versus Christianity. Come on, man, let's practice our real faith. Let's don't get involved just in the religious end. So really, it's more churchianity. Uh, let's try to be involved with someone other than ourselves. After all, the essence of love is to give, not to take, it's to give. Last thing I want to notice about Judas here that's, that's a good lesson for us is that uh, Judas had a knowledge of, he knew about Jesus, he knew of Jesus, but he didn't really know Jesus, certainly not to the point where he had a faith in Jesus. I think it's noteworthy that in the story of the Last Supper, that when Jesus says, one of you will betray me, what's obvious to us years later with benefit of hindsight was not obvious to any of the 12 or the 11 who weren't Judas. Because every single one of them, they go, Lord, is it I? Am I the one? Is it, is, is it me, Lord? So Judas apparently did not stick out like a sore thumb. And again, it may be a good idea for us sometimes. That while I don't, I'm not saying we're Judas, but it might be a good idea to kind of ask ourselves, Lord, is there some area of my life where maybe I haven't been quite right, where maybe I <laughs> need to commit myself, my time and my energy Michael Jackson's old song, Man in the Mirror. So before we point our finger at, G at Judas, 
let's take a moment to look at ourselves and get the log out of our own eyes sometimes before we point out the speck in someone else's eye. Judas's question, because later on Judas asks it. He goes, Judas says, Lord, is it I? Now, it could be that Judas was just saying what everyone else was saying. I think, however, that might show that Judas was not really aware of the ramifications of what he had already done in making a deal with, with the chief priest, the enemies of the Lord, and what he was about to do. Actually, I don't think he really understood all the ramifications of that. Um, many betrayals are, are like that. Sometimes people, uh, people don't even know. If you ever talk to people, they go, man, I didn't know that when I said that, that it would cause that big a stir. And in this day and age, we ought to be very aware of sometimes one little post, one little post, it can become a life-changing. <laughs> I just meant to say something there. And look, look what happened. I didn't know it would affect my children like that. I didn't realize what it would do to my marriage. I thought I was just cussing you out at the moment. I didn't realize that, that, that that's what would happen. I remember the story in, in the Old Testament when you had the twins, Jacob and Esau. Remember that? And, of course, Esau was the oldest. And, of course, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But Esau was the older brother of Jacob. So he had the birthright. But this talk about you can't think past lunch. Esau was an outdoorsman. He was a hunter, a fisherman. He was a guy. Today we might call him a man's man. Maybe today we wouldn't call him that. But back when I was a kid, you know, that old stereotypical masculinity thing. Maybe some might consider it toxic, but you know what I'm talking about. Jacob, on the other hand, was kind of more of an indoor guy. I mean, at one point, people might have called him a mama's boy. Well, the story goes, one day Esau came in from out hunting, you know, doing guy stuff outside, and Jacob is in there stirring up some porridge, and he'd been cooking. So Esau comes in and goes, man, that smells good. Can I have some? And Jacob, who before God changed him, was a good guy, but kind of a trickster. Jacob says, sure, sure, bro. I'll be glad to give you some of this porridge, but I, I want your birthright for it, which seems ridiculous because a birthright in his case, in today's terms, was worth millions of dollars. Who in the right mind would give up millions of dollars for one little bowl of malto meal or, or oatmeal or whatever it was Jacob, Jacob was making, fantastic stew even? But sometimes we, sometimes we can't think past lunch. I'm sure Esau thought, well, man, who knows when dad's going to die? He's probably going to live forever. It's not doomed. All right. And, and he made the agreement. He couldn't think past lunch. And that and other issues cost Esau big time. Uh, I don't think Judas had any idea the ramifications of what he was doing. Sin, by the way, when sin always hides its cost. I'm going to say that again. Sin always hides its true cost. There is never a sale on sin. <laughs> you, this is the holiday season right now, and they'll have holiday sales, and after Christmas, there'll be after Christmas sales. Sin never goes on sale. It's never discounted. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Sin will always cost more than, than, than you want to pay. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay. You talk to any addict, any good days of an addiction are the early days. And let me, let me share with you, too, that there's a big difference here, because I'm talking about Judas. Judas knew of Jesus. He had been around Jesus, but he didn't really know Jesus, if you know what I mean. 
I want to read this to you again and see if you notice something here. In my first passage there in Matthew 26, after Jesus says, one of you will, will betray me, every one of the 11 say to him, surely you don't mean me, Lord. Let me read that to you. This is verse 22. Surely you don't mean me, Lord. Other translations, is it I, Lord? Jump down to verse 25. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. Is it I, Rabbi? Oh, Listen, are you catching this? Are you ready for some Bible teaching here right now? Verse 22, is it I, Lord? Verse 25, is it I, Rabbi? I want to say that one more time. Verse 22, surely you don't mean me, Lord. Verse 25, when Judas speaks, surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. See, Judas' whole perspective of Jesus is that he's a great guy, he's a teacher, but he's trying to get things going where the other 11 knew who Jesus was. Hey, well, listen, we're swiftly running out of time here, but let me encourage you on something. I said the other day that Judas, had he come back to Jesus, I can't prove this, and I know there's pro Old Testament prophecy, but I think Jesus would have been the first one to forgive Judas had Judas come back and not committed suicide and said, Lord, I am, I, I am so sorry. I think it's amazing. I, I know Jesus still loved him because even though Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him, he invited him to the table anyway. He was invited to the Last Supper. And Judas didn't leave till after experiencing what today we would call communion, which is all about forgiveness. Jesus was anxious and ready to forgive even Judas, and he's anxious to forgive you, but it has to be your choice. I told this at a service the other day, but I haven't, haven't told this with, with you yet, that when I was dating Marguerite, and uh, she was, uh, well, yeah, we were teenagers, well, she had gone to Germany a lot growing up because her mom's from Germany. Marguerite's mom grew up in Nuremberg, Germany during the days of World War II. In fact, Marguerite's birth dad and her mom met at the Nuremberg War Trials. Google it, kids. And so that was Marguerite's mom. And so Marguerite, of course, this is after the war now. We weren't even born until the 1950s. But Marguerite would go to Germany a lot. And one of her relatives was a guy called Bushy. I know, funny name, Bushy. Bushy was a relative, and he was, uh, I think he was in his 30s. In fact, I know he was in his 30s. Good-looking, rich, single. He owned uh, the one of the largest, if not the largest, toy company in all of Germany, kind of like here owning Mattel or something like that. And, and he, was, he, he was a great guy, but Marguerite's mom was always careful and would not let her, as a young teenager, hang around him very much. And Marguerite wasn't sure why at first. Finally, they, they found out this, because the guy, Bushy, good-looking, rich. When they went to his house one time, they found out he was like a James Bond. He was a player. Uh, Marguerite says she remembers when her and her mom went into the bathroom that in the medicine cabinet, this is back in the 1960s, <laughs> you know, think Austin Powers, but a good-looking Austin Powers, opened up his medicine cabinet. He had tons of toothbrushes. All of them had a different girl's name on it. I mean, think about this guy. Uh, he had good looks, he was still relatively young. He had money. He had everything that any German person would want or any American might want. 
And yet, sadly, uh, not too long after Marguerite came back from Germany one time, he shot himself and, and, and killed himself. I remember them thinking, I, I had been looking forward to meeting this guy. She had told me so much about him. I wanted to go over there and meet this James, German James Bond guy. You know, I still feel bad about that. What if Bushy had been able to see that there's hope in the Lord Jesus Christ? What if Judas had turned around and, and given his life to, to Jesus? Judas betrays Jesus with a kiss in the book of John. John earlier had said, Jesus is the door. Think about that. Judas kissed the door of heaven, but never entered in. I'll say that again. Judas actually kissed the door of heaven, but never entered in. He was so close. Benedict Arnold, to this day, could have been an American hero along the lines of a George Washington or Benjamin Franklin, but it, it didn't happen.